United States is famous for its reputation as a melting pot of different cultures and ethnicities. This is due to its status as a nation built by immigrants from many different nations. However, people don't often consider the inverse, that is, emigration from the United States. Roughly 9 million people living outside of the United States are either American citizens or of American descent. Now, the concept of American descent is sort of complicated, as there isn't really a distinct American ethnicity. For the purposes of this episode, if you are born to a natural-born American citizen, you are of American descent. The reasons for emigration from the U.S. are generally linked to the countries that Americans emigrate to. The foreign nation with the highest population of Americans is Mexico, which has roughly 1.5 million American Mexicans. Most American Mexicans are Americans of Mexican descent who return to Mexico to reunite with family, including a massive number of American-born children of Mexican illegal immigrants who chose to follow their parents' home after their deportation. Similarly, around 1 million citizens of India are American or of American descent, and this population primarily consists of the children of Indian immigrants to the U.S. Another 1 million Americans live in Canada, and they are primarily the descendants of Anglo-American and African-American loyalists who were evacuated to British Canada after the American Revolution, and more recently, Vietnam War draft dodgers and petroleum engineers who emigrated to work in the Canadian oil industry. Roughly 200,000 Israelis are American Jewish immigrants or descendants of American Jewish immigrants. As I discussed in the Liberia episode, around 150,000 Americo-Liberians, the descendants of manumitted African-American slaves, live in Liberia. Meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of Americans and American descendants live in Japan, Germany, and South Korea, the three countries with the largest U.S. military presence, as American soldiers are known to continue living in these countries after their discharge and marry locals. Additionally, as a result of the American occupation of the early 20th century, as many as 600,000 Filipinos claim American ancestry. As many as 200,000 Americans or American descendants live in France, and a large number of them are descendants from African-American soldiers who were part of a 1950s renaissance of black culture in Paris. The list of countries where Americans live is endless. But for this episode, I will be talking about another country that has a significant number of Americans abroad, Brazil. With a population of over 210 million, Brazil is the sixth most populous country in the world and the most populous in South America. Brazil is famous for its human diversity, especially with regard to ethnicity. Roughly 47% of Brazilians are of white European or Branco ancestry. Most white Brazilians are of Portuguese descent, while a large minority are of Italian descent, including incumbent Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro. Smaller numbers of Brazilians are of Dutch, Spanish, and German descent. Levantine Arabs, particularly Lebanese and Syrians, are also generally included in the Branco classification. And as I mentioned in my episode about the Lebanese Civil War, Brazil has the largest Lebanese population in the world, even greater than that of Lebanon. Another 43% of Brazilians are considered pardo, or mixed race. 
Most Pardo have both white European and black African ancestry, while fewer also have indigenous or East Asian ancestry. Almost 8% of Brazilians are solely of black African or Preto descent. Most Preto are descended from African slaves who were forcibly brought to Brazil, although a small community of immigrants from Angola and Mozambique is also growing. Just over 1% of Brazilians are of East Asian or Amareya, the vast majority of whom are Japanese, with smaller Korean and Chinese minorities. The remaining 0.4% of Brazilians are indigenous or Amerindian, including some who still live in uncontacted tribes deep in the Amazon rainforest. Most importantly for this episode, 260,000 American citizens and their descendants live in Brazil. Many are retirees seeking to live in warmer weather, as well as Midwestern farmers attracted by the rich soil and lenient climate of Brazil. In terms of religion, Brazil is an overwhelmingly Christian nation, with almost 89% of Brazilians adhering to Christianity. 65% of Brazilians are Roman Catholic, 22% are Protestant, and 2% are Mormon, Orthodox Christian, or other denominations. Just over 3% of Brazilians practice other religions, most notably Buddhism, Judaism, and Islam, while 8% are atheist, agnostic, or otherwise irreligious. As the most practiced religious domination in America is Protestantism, it makes sense that most American Brazilians are also Protestant. However, there is a specific subculture of American Protestants in Brazil that has a fascinating history. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 57th episode of this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. On May 9, 1865, U.S. President Andrew Johnson claimed victory in the American Civil War. Although the previous month's assassination of U.S. President Abraham Lincoln by Confederate sympathizer John Wilkes Booth had struck a crippling blow to the morale of the Union, it was clear that the Confederate States' days were numbered. The day after Johnson's declaration of peace, Confederate President Jefferson Davis was captured in Florida by Union forces. On June 23, 1865, Cherokee Confederate General Stan Waddy surrendered in the Indian Territory of present-day Oklahoma, becoming the final Confederate general to surrender. Months later, on November 6, 1865, the Confederate warship CSS Shenandoah was captured off the coast of Liverpool, England, finally bringing an end to the conflict in its entirety. So, what came next? For the South, 
The next decade would be dominated by Reconstruction. What did this entail for former slave owners? Well, for starters, it meant no more slavery, duh. But more importantly, it meant an end to the slaveocracy, which refers to the political and economic system in the South that was dominated by slave owners. Without the wealth and prestige that came with owning slaves, and with many plantations in ruins from attacks by the Union, large plantation owners were sent back to square one. But it wasn't just slave owners who were affected. Many working-class planters began to fear that the influx of black freedmen into the job market would raise the cost of fertile land, thereby making their jobs more difficult. And of course, the new laws giving black men the right to vote did not sit well with the white aristocracy of the South, who benefited from white supremacy in government. All of these factors made Reconstruction wildly unpopular among Southern whites. This animosity led many to join white supremacist terrorist groups, most notably the Ku Klux Klan, that targeted black freedmen and white integrationists. Other Confederate sympathizers opted to leave the United States. Some fled to avoid prosecution for treason or other crimes. Confederate Secretary of State Judah Benjamin, the subject of a previous Historia Obscura episode, fled to the United Kingdom shortly before the end of the war and later moved to France. John Surratt, one of the co-conspirators in President Lincoln's assassination, initially fled to Canada before traveling to the Vatican and then Egypt. But some former Confederates were not at risk of being tried, rather, many just missed their old way of life. To resolve this issue, the Confederates began attempts to colonize new lands to continue their way of life. at mass settlement by the Confederates was spearheaded by Matthew Fontaine Maury, a former Confederate spy. Maury was a personal friend of Emperor Maximilian I of Mexico and pitched the idea of Confederate settlement in Mexico to him. Maximilian liked this idea and invited thousands of Confederates to move en masse to the area between Mexico City and Veracruz, which would form the new Virginia colony. The catch was that they couldn't bring any slaves, as slavery was illegal under Mexican law, but they saw the prevailing white hegemony under Maximilian's rule as good enough. A year after the new Virginia colony was established, in 1866, Emperor Napoleon III of France, whose uncle Joseph Bonaparte lived in Bordentown, New Jersey, withdrew the French troops supporting Maximilian from Mexico. Mexico's Republican forces, led by Benito Juarez, quickly regained power from the empire. Maximilian was captured and executed in 1867, causing New Virginia to collapse and its residents to flee back to the U.S. An attempt was also made to colonize British Honduras, but similarly to Mexico, this plan was thwarted by the British government's fierce abolitionist stance. The most successful Confederate settlement began on December 27, 1865, when Alabama State Senator William Norris and his son Robert arrived at the port of Rio de Janeiro within the Empire of Brazil. The two men traversed the Sierra del Mar mountain range before reaching Sao Paulo. They then made the 15-day, 45-mile-long journey by ox cart to the municipality of Campinas, where they bought a massive stretch of fertile land. 
In mid-1867, William and Robert Norris invited the rest of their family, as well as many of their friends, to join them in their new home. After the arrival of these new settlers, the small community grew and grew until 1875, when the area was incorporated into its own municipality. They called it Americana. establishment of Americana yielded generally positive reactions from the Brazilian government, which also practiced slavery and upheld white dominance. Emperor Dom Pedro II of Brazil had heavily supported the Confederacy during the Civil War and welcomed Confederate expats, known as Confederados, to Brazil. The low cost of slaves in Brazil attracted many more confederados to Americana, and it was reported that, by 1875, over 536 slaves were owned by confederados. These slaves overwhelmingly worked in cotton farming, as cotton was, perhaps unsurprisingly, the primary crop grown by confederados. The main difference between the Brazilian government and the confederados was their religion. As I mentioned previously, Brazil is predominantly Catholic. The Confederados, meanwhile, were the first primarily Protestant group to emigrate to Brazil, and they brought with them American Protestant denominations, namely Presbyterianism and Baptism. Ultimately, this religious difference was rather insignificant, and the Confederados did not face a large amount of discrimination from the Brazilian government. The more pressing issue for the Confederados came in the 1880s, when Emperor Dom Pedro II had a change of heart about slavery. He suddenly turned against the institution, and in 1888, slavery was abolished in Brazil, including in Americana. The ensuing labor shortage posed a problem to the Carioba Textile Factory, located in Americana and run by Confederado Clement Wilmot. Wilmot was forced to sell the factory to a German immigrant family, which in turn paid for hundreds of German employees to emigrate to Brazil. This was the start of the de-Americanization of Americana, as these German immigrants brought European culture with them to the town. This was soon followed by an influx of Italian immigrants, who were hired as indentured servants for confederado families. Most of the Italian immigrants really got the short end of the stick, as they were forced to stay in the living quarters that had been built for slaves prior to the abolition of slavery. However, this did not stop the wave of Italian immigration to Americana, and the institution of indentured servitude soon fell to the same fate as slavery, granting freedom to Italian immigrants and their descendants. the Confederados established the first Presbyterian church in Brazil, in the town of Estachao, next to Americana. Under Brazilian law, however, non-Catholics could not be buried in cemeteries located within predominantly Catholic municipalities, disqualifying Confederados from being buried at the church. Instead, deceased Confederados were buried in a small field next to a farmhouse in Americana. This area grew into a large cemetery known as the Campo Cemetery. After the turn of the 20th century, Americana experienced a period of rapid growth. 
This was largely attributed to the growth of the textile industry, as Americana was considered the rayon capital of Brazil. In 1930, nationalist dictator Getulio Vargas rose to power in Brazil. Two years later, the Constitutionalist Revolution of 1932 broke out against Vargas. Americana sent a group of volunteers, led by Jorge Jones, to support the revolution. Three confederados, including Jones, were killed in action. Following Vargas's 1952 suicide and the return of democracy to Brazil, Americana experienced another period of rapid growth between 1960 and 1970 as laborers moved from all around Brazil to find work in Americana. Today, Americana is a thriving city of almost a quarter of a million people. Although it is much more diverse than it was in 1875, Americana is still more racially homogenous than Brazil on average, as almost 85% of the city's population is classified as white. Only 10%, however, are confederado, as most Americana residents today are Italian, German, Portuguese, or Lebanese. Still, Americana has a distinct culture that incorporates elements of the culture of the American South. Popular foods in Americana include boiled peanuts, fried chicken, and vinegar pie. In 1972, then Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter visited Americana and commented that the accents of the Confederados were indistinguishable from those of American Southerners. And most famously, the Festa Confederada is held every year in Americana on April 28th. This celebration features southern food and dance, as well as Confederate flags, and the proceeds from the festival are used to maintain the Campo Cemetery, which remains the eternal home of hundreds of Confederados. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I was personally very surprised when I learned about this topic. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historia obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.